VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? We'll look back and say it was an order of magnitude worse than than smoking. I mean, mm. it, listen, sugar is normalized right now. Um, you know, you go to a, a four year old's or a three year old's birthday party, and it's like a bunch of you know, it, it's it's indistinguishable if you had the sound off and didn't know why you look at a bunch of meth addicts. I mean. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly podcast from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson. And as ever with this pod, we like to keep guessing. So we're going to take a swerve from last week, one uninteresting subject like how our gadgets were designed to underperform, to this week talking about our completely, totally, utterly rigged food system. This week's guest, I think you'll agree, has a fascinating and really frightening story to tell. His name is Callie Means, and he's a former political strategist and consultant who back in his previous life, going back, you know, a decade or so, working in Washington, D.C., helped big food and big drinks, so, you know, Coke, Pepsi, etc., successfully lobby against things like sugar taxes and lobbying successfully to remain included as something that is supported by the Federal Food Stamp Program, which is the biggest food aid program in America. It's about $110 billion a year used by the poorest people in the country who are most affected by kind of poor diets. Um, They successfully lobbied to make sure Coke was part of their kind of covered area, um, which is insane given that it's sugar water. Anyhow, today, a decade on from all those years, he's spilling the tea and really illuminating how big food funds foundational research that not coincidentally supports the increased consumption of their sugary fatty products that are making us all so sick, diabetic, obese, depressed, and how the industry funnels millions to these special interest groups and institutions that you would otherwise think are very respected, independent, etc. All in the in the service of ensuring that no new laws are brought in that might curb our horrendous diets and really this unfolding public health crisis and just a sign of the times. Just this past month, the FDA approved an injectable shot to treat childhood obesity in kids as young as 12, which is, you know, just... These are unprecedented things that are happening to um, our population, especially to our kids. At the same time, you have things like the so-called Food Compass, which was this study funded by the National Institutes of Health, kind of the, the most august national health body in the country. And it does it has some really strange things in there, like recommending frosted mini-wheats, so sugary cereal, over skinless chicken breast. 
and chocolate-covered almonds over whole wheat bread. Things like that. It's really bananas. Uh, anyhow, Means is airing all of this dirty laundry, making a ton of enemies, which is a really interesting way to start a company, which is what he's doing. His startup is called TrueMed. They're all two months old. They've raised a few million bucks. And what they're trying to do initially is design a way for people to use tax-free benefit corporate benefits to pay for healthy foods exercise aids and other kind of lifestyle enhancing measures as a way to combat what is happening but longer term as you'll soon hear he has a much broader vision really all about completely reorienting the way we think about and approach food so there's lots to talk about and this will i assure you give you a lot to think about especially when you just step back and look at what is happening to you know, public health generally, just walk down any street and you know what I'm talking about. So without further ado, here is Callie Means. He's the founder of the startup TrueMed and a crusader against, well, you know, you'll see. So here he is. I think I came across you on Twitter, I don't know, 10 days ago or something like that. And I'm just wondering if you could just start by talking about kind of what you did in your previous life and what got you to this point where you're kind of, all right, I'm going to air the dirty laundry. I'm going to talk about all of these forces that we can talk about, as you say, are, are quite uh, pernicious. Yeah. So I grew up in Washington, DC. So I grew up right outside Georgetown, grew up in the swamp, you could say. And, uh, <laughs> you know, growing up, uh, my, my dream was to be in the system and, uh, you know, went out to school in the Bay Area at Stanford and, and immediately came back and worked in politics and uh, worked for some candidates I believed in, John McCain. And, and then once you, you know, finish campaigns, uh, you go to consulting. And you know, a lot of the people on both sides of the aisle find themselves in rooms with, as I did early in my career, you know, this is around 2009 to 2012. And what, what did you study or what, what was your training? So it was economics, political science. And you gotcha. know, my real grounding, I think, was trying to advance American exceptionalism. I was pretty ideological. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I thought I was going to be in politics, you know, my, my whole life. And um, after the campaigns, you quickly, I never really go into consulting of some kind. And, you know, was working for a company that kind of cross-functional, but brought my business interests and uh, yeah. helping uh, with public policy challenges. And, and you find yourself with uh, soda executives, with pharma executives, with a lot of special interests. And uh, it was just like classic kind of K Street, that whole world of lobbying and all that good stuff, as you say, the swamp. <laughs> yeah. And I think what I found is that, you know, K Street, you can kind of segment that and think about that as a separate thing. But K Street's highly tied into a lot of institutions like universities and yeah. think tanks and, um, and a lot of other groups we trust. You say you ended up in a lot of these rooms with special interests. Yeah, and we can dive into kind of what I saw. But it was, it was pretty horrifying. I think everyone in the back of their head knows that something isn't right happening, that institutions of trust are being rigged, but pretty clearly was convinced to get out of that, went to business school, got more into entrepreneurship. And then in the past couple of years, kind of looking back, you know, my passions are still around American exceptionalism, you know, American competitiveness, and thinking about the real issues that plagued the country, I, I thought a lot about my experiences seeing soda executives, seeing pharma executives. And then I think really tied it to what I think is the first order political public policy challenge of our time in the U.S. And, and probably around the world, which is this exponential denigration of our health, uh, really an exponential rise in sickness and depression and infertility. 
it's really happening because of food and it's happening, I think, because of a rig system. So um, I started a company to try to change those incentives called True Medicine, but felt the need to to speak out because to me, what I, what I said wasn't even really news, but it, it did seem to resonate because I, I, I think people are very frustrated seeing, you know, inside their children's classrooms where a lot of kids are getting sicker and obviously mm. more obese and and just themselves. I mean, chronic disease obviously is skyrocketing. 50% of the uh, adults in the United States now have diabetes or prediabetes, which is really unprecedented and, and tied to food. The first tweet that caught my attention was when you were talking about Coke and uh, for our, you know, as our British listeners would call them, the fizzy drink companies mm-hmm. and the lobbying against the sugar tax. Something like the sugar tax has been talked about a lot throughout Europe, including in the UK. Obviously, it's very controversial, mm-hmm. but could you talk about your experience on the kind of the one side of the table and, and again, why you kind of have gone to the other side of the table? Yeah. So, so I personally, you know, come from a pretty conservative background and, and don't really like taxes and, uh, and don't really support patriarchal policies. What, what has really flipped for me is that a free market isn't free if it's rigged. And looking back, and I think the food stamp case, before I even get into taxes, the food stamp case is really instructive. And I, I know kind of instructive of what Coke does around the world. So just so, just because we have a lot of over, overseas yeah. listeners, food stamps is basically the federal food assistance program where you get X amount of money per month to buy your basic necessities. Exactly. Food stamps is a $110 billion U.S. government program that 15% of the United States uh, citizens depend on for nutrition. And so what was the case you're talking about? Yeah. So in the U.S., this, this important program, $110 billion program, yeah. the number one item purchased on this government nutrition program is sugary drinks. 10% of the all number funding, one. The number one item from back then to today is sugary drinks and specifically soda. 10% of all food stamp spending, the number one nutritional program, you know, substance program in the United States goes to sugary drinks. Sugary drinks are evolutionary unprecedented. They're, they're really a new phenomenon and they are an absolute nuclear bomb to the blood glucose levels and really tied to the increase in metabolic conditions and diabetes but 10% of spending is going. So when I was working for the soda companies in you know, circa 2011, 2012, people were rightfully asking questions about the logic of this, and Coke wanted that, wanted to keep the status quo. Right. So how'd they do that? Yeah, so there's really a three-part playbook that I witnessed, mm-hmm. and it, it circles around weaponizing institutions of trust. So the first leg of the stool is civil rights groups. There's nothing that shuts down debate more than calling someone a racist. Mm-hmm. And what was shocking, in this case, the NAACP, the most, really the most prominent civil rights organization, I would say, in the United States, it was shocking how transactional the conversations were inside the room. You had mm-hmm. you know, old white Coke executives basically saying, we're going to give you millions of dollars, and can you call our opponents? In this case, that's parents mm-hmm. who are concerned about their children ingesting 100 times more sugar than they did 100 years ago to call our opponents racist. And it was that transactional. And that's exactly what happened as the New York Times. That, another... So like, sorry, just to be just to be clear in that room. I mean, I don't know if that was verbatim, but that was basic. It was very it was that bold and that clear. They said the quiet part out loud. And you have overweight, white executives and lobbyists from soda paying the prominent civil rights group and telling them who to call racist. 
And I've seen, because I saw there was a, a New York Times piece that I think you linked to from back in the day, kind of calling out these this kind of these strange bedfellows, if you will. Like I think there was a National Hispanic, Hispanic yeah. Foundation, the NAACP, and Coca-Cola and Pepsi um, saying, you know, hmm, they received all these millions of dollars and now these organizations are saying, and I don't know if there's any basis in fact here, but saying, look, if you impose a sugar tax, you're going to hurt our people, our constituents, because they're the people on these aid programs. And this is a, you know, a readily available source of calories. And this is basically you're, you're punishing the poor, you're punishing our people. Yeah, they went farther than that, but they weaponized their arguments to say that it's racist and classist to take coke away from their communities. Of course, that is scientifically a flagrant mistruth. Um, in the mm. United States, person in the lowest socioeconomic bracket, a man, dies 15 years earlier than a man in the highest socioeconomic bracket. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure your, your viewers in, in Europe, but there's some similar disparities, maybe, maybe not as bad. That is because of nutrition, period. And obviously, right, self-evidently, if the, if the Hispanic Federation or the NAACP or these civil rights groups are, you know, caring about their community, they would be urgently working for, you know, these nutrition programs to subsidize and incentivize healthy food. They weren't arguing to increase spending on food stamps and, and um, you know, make more foods available that are healthy. They were explicitly arguing their only focus in the food stamp debate, as the New York Times and others reported at the time, was around labeling opponents of having sugary drinks included in this program as racist. Because at the time, just so I understand, there was a push to basically impose a sugar tax on these sugary drinks, which, as you say, are kind of unprecedented in, in human history, except for maybe the last century. Mm -hmm. That was successfully batted back. In other words, those sugar taxes were not imposed. Well, there's two parts of the policy. So I think mm. the sugar taxes was another one. This is at the same time Mayor Bloomberg in New York was trying to do a sugar tax. Yeah. Specifically, and I think to me is, is more even, there, there should be unanimous opinion on. So let's take taxes aside. They were absolutely trying, and the New York Times reported this, label opponents of a sugar tax as racist. Yeah. They were also labeling people who wanted to take soda out of food stamps racist. So that's not a tax. That's actually $10 right, just billion. Excluding, dollars. excluding this deeply unhealthy thing from qualifying for food stamps. Exactly, which, which is a material part of Coke and Pepsi's revenue. Uh, today, it's yeah. over $10 billion of food stamp money a year is spent on, uh, on sugary beverages. So there, there, was, there was a couple of public policy angles. It's combating the sugar tax and working, and this fight is ramping up right now, working to keep soda in a government nutrition program. So did you immediately come out of that and be like, Ugh, feel kind of icky when you saw that, like actually that quid pro quo will give you some millions, come out in support of us and everybody wins kind of thing. Yeah, obviously, except, yeah. you know, the millions of people. At the time, not as much as I should have. And, and this is what's very mm. nefarious about the whole thing. You know, some other groups I talk about is we also paid off conservative think tanks. I used to be an intern. I was an intern in college at the Heritage Foundation, the most prominent conservative yeah, think yeah. tank. Then I shuttled different executives from various special interests we're talking about in there mm. and ordering a study that said what they wanted to say was very transactional. And then, you know, the third was actually going into universities. And, you know, people I think need to understand that in the U.S., and this impacts public policy throughout the world, processed food companies spend 11 times more on foundational nutrition research funding universities than the National Institute of Health, the main 
government entity that funds research. Yeah. So, you know, there's nothing more unimpeachable than a Harvard study that says, you know, peer reviewed, this is the finding. But how you ask the question, what you're deciding to look at, how you're structuring that study makes a big difference. And the disastrous 1990s food pyramid, which which argued for lower fat, more carbs, which has led to millions of deaths. Yeah, because I remember, I remember in school, I'm a child of the kind of I was school mostly in like the 80s right. and into the 90s. I remember the food pyramid on the cafeteria wall. Yes, that was based on research from the head of nutrition at Harvard in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, who was mm-hmm. directly funded by the sugar companies to say, and the studies from Harvard said that sugar didn't cause obesity. That continues up to today to where the preeminent nutritional recommendations funded by the NIH coming out of the Tufts school. And this is called, they've updated it. It's, not, it's no longer a pyramid. It's a food compass. The food compass now um, funded millions of dollars by the U.S. government, also by food companies, called you know, in, a, in a press release, citing the NIH, one of the most, uh, the most comprehensive nutrition guidelines ever created, says yeah. Lucky Charms and Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios even are healthier than an egg or beef. So this strikes right at the heart of my personal life because I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and the four-year-old will only eat Honey Nut Cheerios. And it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but like he, we start him out on Cheerios. Of course, they're not sweet. And then once he discovered Honey Nut Cheerios, that was it. And now it's like every morning, like clockwork. Well, this is this is what's happened. This is how the this is how the food system has been weaponized. So there are really are three ingredients of modern food, including you know a, a cereal like that. The first ingredient is highly processed grains, which is the foundation of the American diet and really the Western diet now. And an important thing to understand is highly processed grains didn't exist until a hundred years ago. That's the processing mm-hmm. part. Is you take the fiber off, which makes it fully just just the fiber blunts the glucose impact. So when that Cheerios hits the child's bloodstream, it produces a dopamine response. It produces the same response. It, it turns into sugar. So the second ingredient, I believe there, or maybe the first on honey nut is added sugar. So you've got added sugar and the processed grains that have no fiber that then turn into sugar. So it, it is a highly addictive drug. You know, it, it, if, if you gave us all heroin every day, every morning, we'd, we'd want more heroin. I don't blame the kids for this at all. They, they are responding to intense dopamine pressures in their brain to want that food. Mm. And that's very well known by the food companies. And obviously, through this rig system in the United States, grain and corn, the foundations of these ingredients, receives 80% of subsidies. Uh, Vegetables and fruits receive 0.4% of U.S. subsidies. So these are U.S. farming subsidies. Yeah, U.S. farm subsidies, uh, 80 plus percent go to grains, which turn into highly processed grains. Vegetables and uh, fruits are considered specialty crops and receive, uh, by mm. last count, I saw 0.4% of U.S. farm subsidies. And just to talk about that food compass for a moment, because uh, there's some kind of eye-popping things in there. I think another one is, um, so there's Lucky Charms, which I don't know has, I can't remember if that's made the leap over to the U.K., but certainly Frosted Flakes have, and they're what they're called Frosties over there. Those, according to the food compass, aren't so bad. Well, yeah, I mean, the food compass was directly paid by processed food companies. The, the interesting thing, the way research, and I saw this you know, working for the food companies, the NIH, which is I, I, probably one of the leading scientific 
grant makers in the world. In the world, for sure, yeah. Sure. The main entity in the United States is that. It's a grant-making agency. They don't have a lot of full-time staff. It's, mm. it's either rotating professors coming in there to do research, and the bulk of that funding goes to other universities. So yeah. the Food Compass, you know, again, this, this ridiculous thing that actually labeled cereals by name and, and, and had an algorithm to put processed cereal above whole foods like beef and eggs and such. It was directly funded in conjunction with the NIH by Danone, which was the number one funder, which is a large processed food maker. And the NIH funding went to professors who have been on the payroll of food companies for decades. So by a lot of analyses from ProPublica and a lot of other nonpartisan sources, you know, the vast majority of funding from the NIH, whether it's for nutrition research or pharma research, mm. go to academics that have a direct financial conflict of interest. And then, of course, the people, you know, these are panels of professors making this dean of the Stanford Medical School. Previously, this man named Dr. Pizzo accepted millions of dollars from opioid makers 10 years ago and then was appointed as the lead convener of the, of the pain and opioid panel that recommended more opioids. I mean, this is how it works. Right. So could we step back and just talk about, which leads right into your company, which mm. I'm going to get to. But talk about kind of where we are in, in terms of public health, because obviously, you know, like in a lot of things in America, we do it bigger and better, quote unquote, than anybody else. But this is these are very similar issues in the UK and the rest of Europe, kind of high level. What are we looking at 2023 in terms of public health and the kind of crisis that you're kind of focusing on? Yeah, I mean, high level, the trends we're looking at is that we're getting fatter, sicker, more depressed, more infertile at an exponential rate. Male sperm count is plummeting. It's down 50% in 40 years. Uh, female infertility is skyrocketing. 26% of women by last count have PCOS, the leading cause of, of female infertility. There's something very wrong happening with our bodies throughout the world. You know, Obviously, these trends are happening in Europe and Asia as we export the American diet throughout the world. And the problem is that the more we spend the worse things get. So usually, you know, in Silicon Valley, right, when you, you know, when, you, when innovation means you're lowering prices and increasing quality, it's the exact opposite in health right now. Uh, healthcare, and this is, a, I think, a very important trend to understand in the United States, and, and I, think, I think has applicability throughout the world, is it's the largest industry in the United States and also the fastest growing, which is staggering. Yeah. The more money, the worse the outcomes. So the problem, and, and this is, I think, where a lot of people get it wrong, a lot of people on the both sides of the aisle take that fact and say we need to increase access to healthcare. We need to spend mm -hmm. more money on healthcare. The key is that every incentive in healthcare makes more money when more people are sick. Pharma, you know, eighty-five to ninety percent of you know all the drugs, if not more, is for treating people that are sick with chronic conditions. That's recurring revenue lifetime. Food companies make more money when people are are addicted and and and, and really sick. Hospitals make more money when their emissions and procedures do. So you have this perverse incentive mm. where you have a food system that's changed dramatically over the past 50 years that's rigged, as we're talking about, making people systematically sick. You know, this ton of genetic information, which I call food, it's just, it's just information we're putting into our bodies that's destroying our metabolic health. That's poisoning everyone, producing unprecedented health consequences. But then the medical community, pharma, hospitals, med schools, all profit from that. So you have deafening silence from the medical community about the reasons why people are getting sick. 
And they're just profiting and being heroes, doing all these surgeries, prescribing stands, prescribing metformin. Now, just yesterday, the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of pharma, essentially is totally paid out by pharma, but it is Mm. the leading source of guidance for parents, says that 12-year-olds should be getting injectable for obesity for the rest of their lives if they're obese. Oh, this uh, this drug uh, was Ozempic. So you have a food system that's poisoning people and then a medical system that's profiting and not talking about that. And I think the last thing I'll say there that's eye-opening to me is that 80% of the med schools today in the United States don't require a single nutrition course. They only teach budding doctors pharmacology. They, 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 the doctors are in the United States are stand-ready once people get sick to, to operate and profit once people get sick. But we should be asking with healthcare policy, why are people getting so sick? That question isn't being asked. So I have two questions. One is about just obesity and diabetes, because mm-hmm. that feels like that is, um, in a way, something that could, you know, it's, it's more visceral. People can see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, where, where are we in terms of like the levels there relative to where we have been in the past? Right now, 80% of the American people are overweight or obese. It's skyrocketing among kids. You, we can see that you go anywhere uh, in America, and I think throughout the Western world, you go to an airport or public space, you have a mass problem where people are killing themselves. I mean, obesity is not a good thing. And when I go to a public space and and there's, you know, and I've struggled with, everyone struggles with this, right? Yeah. And you see everyone systematically sick. It's not supposed to be this way. This is, this is wrong. They're not trying, you know, to do that. People aren't trying to systematically shorten their lives, which is exactly what's happening. There's something systemically wrong. And I, I think a key thing to understand about obesity is that is one visible symptom hmm. of the crisis of our time, which is metabolic dysfunction. The, the, the 25% of now young adults having prediabetes, 50% of adults in the U.S. having prediabetes or diabetes, 93% of, of Americans having an indicator of metabolic dysfunction. That's what diabetes is. It, it, it's, it's, it's impaired glucose levels. What is that? It means the cells aren't working. Our, yeah. our cells are being overloaded with glucose, overloaded with inflammatory food, and they're dysfunctioning. Now, when, and just not to get too into the science here, but I think this is important, when we eat 100 times more sugar than we did 100 years ago, that's what fat is. The cells are pushing that excess glucose out of the cells, out of the mitochondria, and it's turning into fat. That's a visible sign. But we also, you know, 20% of our cells are in the brain. So it's also causing, you know, cellular dysfunction leads to organ dysfunction. Organ dysfunction is disease that can show up in obesity, but it's clearly showing up in the fact that the the second leading cause of death for teenagers right now is suicide, which is unprecedented. The second Mm -hmm. leading cause for death of of an American under 34 is suicide. 25% of Americans right now are taking a mental health medication. You know, obviously just just a massive increase in all these metabolic conditions, including even dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, Mm -hmm. Leading studies have actually labeled Alzheimer's, type 3 diabetes. Um, if you have normal glucose levels, which is totally over your control based on what you eat, yeah. you don't get Alzheimer's. You don't get d- dementia is cellular dysregulation of the brain that's downstream of diabetes. So we need to connect these things together and connect it to food. Uh, but the medical system, again, profits from siloing diseases into a you know, treatable condition when a statin does not cure heart disease, metformin is not curing diabetes. There's underlying problems we need to address. 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I think everything you're saying makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. The one thing where I do question is this idea that, you know, that kind of everybody's in on this because I know doctors, I have friends who are in the medical field and they don't, I mean, they don't have any interest in people being sick. I mean, obviously it's their job to make people feel better, but. Well, every, every doctor, every doctor speaking to doesn't want their patients to be sick, but they have a deep financial interest in people being sick. Their, their paychecks paid by that. Their paychecks paid by interventions. For sure. But I don't think if they were given a choice of like, you know, oh, this, this person could be morbidly obese or they could be healthy. They would want them to be healthy, even if that means that they don't have to do a gastric band surgery or something. I feel like that 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 aspect of you know, if you talk about the different stools, well, the gastric band surgery is now paid by insurance and and is what pays the doctor's mortgage for sure. I just I, it feels like you know you have these doctors you know that take the Hippocratic oath, do no harm, et cetera. It feels like that most doctors I know they just want to they want to make people healthy. Well, you're, you're saying two different things I, in my, from what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. so, so no question. My sister is a doctor. She, she, mm. she left the system in disgust, but we're working with a lot of doctors. This is what's perverse about the system. The mm. medical system takes the smartest, most mission-driven people in the world, come to the United States to be a doctor. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the highest rate of suicide and depression of any industry in the United States is among doctors, I believe, because... They see they're trapped in a system where nobody's getting better. Every doctor, almost every doctor, totally agree with you. Their motivations of why they got in the game and, and what they want people to be healthy. Their paycheck is paid by interventions. They mm -hmm. are rated and, and reprimanded at hospitals for not doing enough interventions. They're, they have incentive pay based on interventions. That, that's, how, that's how they make money. So, so I, I totally agree. But, but the key thing to understand is, in the rooms of a pharma company or a food company, even mm -hmm. working with the NAACP, they're not thinking that they're evil. Like, you know, the, the, even the Heritage Foundation taking a ton of money from Coke to do a study that's going to lead to mass diabetes among children, they still think they're good people, right? It, yeah, it's yeah. a system. It's a system. And these incentives of the system are producing this. Now, I'm a free market guy. I, you know, I, I think Coke should exist. I think, you know, most drugs should be legal. But it, it should absolutely be called out, and, and we should be aware of the incentives. There's no question, just again, 
There's no question that most doctors, most pharma executives, most people that work at Coke are good people, but they are in a perverse incentive structure that is leading to an absolute cataclysm for American health. So can we talk about your company? It's called True Medicine or yes. True Med? Yeah, we're shifting to True Med. It's a new company, okay. but yeah, True Med. Yeah, True Med. So True Med, and I went on the uh, website and it's effectively a landing page yes. at the moment. Yes. So can you explain what True Med is? Yeah, so we've established the problem here, right? Yeah. There's really bad incentives. Every institution in healthcare profits when people are sick. I think that's the main problem with healthcare. Mm-hmm. So myself and a, a, another mission-based founder named Justin Mares, who started some category-leading healthy food companies after his health issues, Perfect Keto and, and Kettle and Fire, which basically invented the bone broth category, passed those mm-hmm. off. And we're like, we started with a question. How can we incentivize people to be healthy? That's got to be the basis of healthcare policy. So real quickly, in the United States, there's instruments called HSA, FSA accounts, health savings accounts which the majority of Americans have but are very underutilized, and they're tax-free accounts. They give consumers choice on where they can spend their health dollars. And these are typically set up via an employer through their benefits. Yeah, almost every American, the vast majority of Americans, when they're choosing their benefits every year, can take money from their paycheck pre-tax, which is pre-tax. You know, 30 40% pre-income tax. So it's, it's material. Hmm. They can put $7,200 for a family in there, and then they can spend that on qualified health. Now, here's what's happened with HSA, FSA. Everything is rigged and influenced by pharma. So those accounts right now are seen as for when you get sick. It's for, you know, you save up for later when you get a chronic disease. The problem, I think one of the biggest problems in health is people in their 20s and 30s actually are suffering from metabolic conditions. They're feeling fatigue, infertility, depression. These are warning signs for larger metabolic dysfunction. And in the United States, what the IRS says is that if you have a doctor's note saying that food or exercise is helpful in preventing a disease, Mm. you can use that. That is a qualified medical expense. You can actually use tax-free money and treat food or exercise as medicine. And the point of our company, you know, most people don't even understand this, but food counts as medicine with a doctor's note. And what we do is seamlessly provide that compliance so that you can buy supplements, fitness trackers, healthy food, exercise with tax-free dollars or 30 40% savings, depending on your income bracket. And we're making that seamless effect. But what we are specifically is a payment integration. So in a couple of months, we're going to be tied in with Shopify as an official payment app and with some leading merchants. If you're buying your favorite supplement or exercise, you'll just be seamlessly able to get that approval and you know receive the same tax breaks you would if you were to buy a a pharmaceutical pill, uh, which is tax advantaged. Mm. But again, food and exercise is medicine. And I I think that's a very important trend. We're not around the world. We are not going to drug our way out of the problem that we're in with the exploding rates of chronic disease. We have to think about how do we incentivize food and lifestyle. And that sounds fluffy to some. It sounded fluffy to me. It's got to be the core of public policy. It's got to be the core of public policy is incentivating healthy behavior because there's no other way we're going to get out of this. So just so I understand, so TrueMed, basically you need a doctor's note to say this person is depressed, they need to eat more vegetables or whatever it may be. Right. Or they need to exercise more, et cetera. Once you have that doctor's note, that's that imprimatur of like, okay, this is actually a medically legit thing then you guys 
do you provide those doctors? Because not all the doctors would say that, right? I mean, to our earlier discussion, like not everybody would be like, oh, you know, you're really unhealthy. You just need to eat better. Here's a doctor's note for like, you know, go to Whole Foods or whatever. Right, right. If you go into your primary care doctor, they're probably following that 80% or didn't take one nutrition class. And, you know, yeah. if you go into a provider in the US, they type in your symptoms to an algorithm or are told what drug to prescribe and are actually reprimanded if they go outside that system. Correct. Hmm. We have providers. Yes, it's a seamless experience. You, you, you're, you're on, for instance, we're not, this is just an example, like Athletic Greens, a supplement maker. Just as paying with PayPal, you, you, there'll be a button for us on sites like that. Mm. Um, Athletic Greens isn't signed up. I'm just giving that as an example. Yeah, yeah. And there'll be several health questions. If you have a condition you're trying to reverse or prevent, we'll pre-approve you. You're able to pay right in that flow after a couple of questions with your HSA, FSA. And then we have a provider. Yet yeah, providers who are versed in the metabolic health literature, we've combined. Providers meaning doctors. Yeah. Or do- nutritionists. Doctors. No, no, no. Licensed providers, doctors or nurse practitioners. Okay. And then we have that we've compiled with our clinical team over 5,000 studies. You know, you mentioned depression. There's leading studies from leading universities funded by, I would say, good nonprofits, not special interests, but leading studies saying that 150 minutes of exercise for three months consistently produces more depressive relief from from clinical depression than the leading SSRI. And Mm. SSRIs are one of the most prescribed drugs in the United States. So we use that research to recommend food and exercise, and then you can buy it tax-free. I think the HSA FSA, which is $140 billion currently sitting in these accounts, it's a material amount of money in that program. Most people have access to it. I think that's one example of letting patients and incentivizing them to stay healthy instead of waiting to get sick. And how do you keep from falling down the slippery slope that you saw in your previous life of, you know, if all of a sudden you guys end up on like, you know, General Mills's homepage for Honey Nut Cheerios or whatever, like what, where are the parameters? How do you set those parameters of like what meets your level of this is good for your body versus mm, this is borderline versus this is terrible? It's a great question. And I think a lot of people fall in this trap. I think what Justin and I and the team are bonding over is that this is our life's work. We've had successful companies in the past, and this is how we're self-actualizing ourselves um, and why we're speaking out about this. But to specifically answer your question, we have a clinical team, uh, you know, and investors and advisors from Mark Hyman, who's a prominent person in this space, my sister, Dr. Casey Means, who's become an outspoken advocate in this space, um, on down to, to our clinical team, you know, to just, just high level. The three, I think, rules of how you should look at labels and how you should think about food is absolutely off the bat, nothing with added sugar, with seed oils, which is like canola oil and soybean oil, which has become the number one source of fats in the United States, didn't exist 100 years ago, very inflammatory, cheap processed oils, seed oils, and then highly processed grains, as we've talked about. Again, this processing was just invented 100 years ago. Now it's the foundation of the American diet, and it's basically turns into sugar in the bloodstream. So anything with those three ingredients, which is if you look at almost anything in your refrigerator, even organic, you know, creamer is like soybean oil, you know, and sugar. It's almost everything includes those ingredients. Those are out. Mm. So any company that's telling that they're a health food company and recommending anything processed with those ingredients is not serious. Well, it's funny. We have uh, our kids are really into oat milk and that even right. that has added sugar. No, well, the second ingredient in oat milk is, um, is, is canola oil. It's literally mm. drinking if you actually have the oat milk like by volume, it's like mm. one third is like straight canola oil. It's mm. this. It's literally the second ingredient in oat milk. It is sugar, grains, and oil. That, that it's again the food industry is magicians 
at turning those three ingredients into anything, including oat milk. Right. So yeah, I mean, it gets down to whole foods. I think there's a lot of studies, you know, there's dramatic studies I've talked about PCOS and fertility. It's a metabolic condition. It is part and parcel with prediabetes is, is PCOS. What does um, PCOS stand for? What is that? Polyovarian uh, cystic syndrome, which is uh, the leading cause of female infertility, which mm-hmm. has absolutely skyrocketed in the past 20 years and is at its core, it, it is insulin resistance. It is on the spectrum and, and essentially the same thing as, as diabetes. And, and the insulin resistance leads to more testosterone and various hormones that upset the fertility cycle. Um, hmm. You can dive much more into that, but you know, fundamentally tied to food and a ketogenic diet, you know, really limiting sugars, following keto principles has been remarkable clinically in turning that around. But of course, right. when you go to a doctor, you know, that's not going to be mentioned. It's going to be straight to the straight to the invasive procedures, straight to the hormones, straight to the, you know, very invasive uh, procedures that make the system a lot right. of money. So you have a clinical team that says basically, that steers away from anything, you know, processed foods with these core ingredients. Is that it? Are there other thing, other thresholds that must be hit or that must be avoided? Yeah, every single recommendation we make comes from a peer-reviewed study, and usually multiple. I think you can get 70, 80% there. It's my personal opinion, you know, by eating whole foods, by limiting those ingredients I talked about. Mm. But there's specific micronutrients. You got to ask, what's the condition? What are the nutrients, micronutrients, you know, other components that you need that are clinically proven to prevent or reverse that condition? We take those studies and we recommend those foods. Food is nothing more than genetic information, or they could have a a beneficial mechanism for insulin regulation. We take the studies and every single food we recommend is tied to specific, you know, you might think that's obvious that, you know, eating broccoli is good, but we have, you know, 20 studies for this specific condition that Hmm. the person is trying to prevent or, or, or alleviate. So yeah. If we start recommending Lucky Charms, that that's totally fraudulent. We'll, 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 we will, you know, right, right now it's, it's, it's Whole Foods. I, I think supplements are very important. I think the depletion in vitamin D and, 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 another, and other core nutrients is very important. So I think supplements are an important part of the game. Exercise. Why are supplements important? Because to your point around, you know, having 100 times more sugar than we were a century ago, we didn't have supplements a century ago. Yeah, so I think I think you got to look at the supplements. But we 100, 200 years ago used to be getting a lot more vitamin D from the sun. Yeah, from the sun and from our food, which was you know grass fed, you know mm. whole food, right? And we weren't uh, when you put meat uh, and you know feed the cows grains, that just robs a lot of the nutrients. It robs the omega threes, anti inflammatory. Right. You know, like 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 a, a vegetable today, by some counts, have you know. 50 to 90% lower nutrient values than it did 50 years ago. If you go to Sardinia, you know, or a vegetable grown on the hill and pull a tomato, by some studies it has it has nine times more nutrient density than a than a tomato grown in the US. I mean why? Just because it hasn't been bred to be super durable and be able to be shipped in a truck across the country and and all the kind of attendant things that come along with that in terms of nutrient degradation? Well yeah, I mean it gets to the fact that we've 
absolutely annihilated our soil with um, with our farming practices and the monocropping. And there's a great documentary called Kiss the Ground that goes into this, but it's all connected. I mean, right. you know, I've never been a big, you know, passionate about the environmental cause, but you look about what's happening with the soil and our farming practices, our food is dramatically lower nutrient density than it was. So again, you just have to ask like, what, what am I getting out of that food? Right. And so have you guys raised money? Do you have investors? Like, what's the plan? Yeah, we have leading uh, investors. Justin and I um, have raised in previous ventures over $100 million of, of venture capital. Justin's, I've sold my previous company. Justin, as I said, has started some successful healthy food companies, which, which some of your viewers might know, Kettle and Fire and Perfect Keto. So we're, we've kind of been around the block, bonded on this mission, and I don't see it as much as a company as, as a movement and us devoting our lives to trying to chip away at this core incentive problem that everyone is incentivized not to be healthy. We're very excited about this wedge. We want to prove clinically that ramping up FSA, HSA, tax-free money, incentivizing healthy food, instead of saving that money to buy drugs down the road, improves health outcomes. And you know the mission we're on uh, first is to launch this and really drive value and drive you know healthy behaviors. But I really think it's a model for where public policy needs to go. I, I believe in Europe. I, I think in some of the Scandinavian countries, if I'm not mistaken, you know they have some policies like that, like the government mm-hmm. nu- nutrition program. Lower income folks have a card, and and I think um, you know really encourage and and there's the funding on there to get healthy foods. And there's a lot of movement around that. And I think the health outcomes are a lot better. We've got to move to that. So we really see the FSA, HSA, these tax-free accounts as, as a place to start, but want to be a company that's really helping to move public policy. You know, I just say anyone listening to this or, um, or passionate about this issue, I mean, amazingly, we've gotten reached out to just Twitter DMs from members of Congress. I think it's so rigged, the system, that there's literally members of Congress, like on the Agriculture Committee. DMing me and asking like, well, how, can I see more on this? Can I see like, we've got to change the paradigm. So we're on a movement to do that. You know, anyone who wants to be part of that movement, you know, follow me on Twitter, DM me if you have more information. Um, but we're, we, you know, where the rubber hits the road, I think is 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 programs like our company's trying to implement. We've got to get rid of the grain subsidies, which which kind of in an evil fashion subsidize foods that are killing Americans. We've got to reform food stamps. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So because the HSA FSA program that's basically for people with full-time jobs and benefits absolutely i.e like middle and upper class yep it feels like a really important area to focus on is as you say food stamps absolutely you know that's 15 percent of the population and the people who are most impacted by living in food deserts or just having access to poor choices yeah. So, so a principle, we thought about this a lot. Our goal is to change the incentives to health in America. Like mm. that's our whole, um, a business principle we have is that as you're starting a company, we're, we're preaching to the converted. I, I think most successful companies do do that. And, and we're very happy. Again, if, if this resonates with you, you know, follow along. We're really trying to give voice to the converted. What's happening? I mean, we're, we're just a couple months old, but a couple interesting trends have happened. This issue is really resonating. Interestingly, it's nutrition's often been a topic for the left. Fox News in the U.S. is covering it night after night. This is an issue that impacts everyone. Tucker Carlson. I was stunned. Yeah, I was stunned. Night after I was night. stunned to see you actually on Tucker Carlson, who I, I have, you know, I don't like Tucker Carlson, you know, for a whole number of reasons. But I was like, oh, he had you on. 
to talk about this. And even though you were calling out like, you know, the Heritage Foundation, which is like the most celebrated conservative think tank being in bed with all of, you know, I think to your point, there is uh, there does seem to be bipartisan buy into this idea. That- and to, to Fox's credit and not, not to even wade into that, to Fox's credit, you know, food and farm are the two biggest advertisers generally for news programs. Yeah. This is an issue, you know, that's I think people are very confused why they're getting so sick, why their kids are getting so sick. This is an issue that's really resonating. I really actually credit Fox. I think it is in some degree brave that they're doing this, given that that their farm and food throw money around. And they've covered it after the segment I went on. They've covered it every single night mm. on primetime. Uh, so I think there's some sea changes here. And um, what, what I hope to happen is, um, you know, any, anyone interested in this, anyone that has an HSA, FSA, follow along. We're going to you're going to be able to buy, um, if you qualify, things that keep you healthy um, as medicine, which, which, it sh- which should be the case. We hope to show clinical outcomes that, you know, a family using $7,200 of tax-free money, you know, to stay healthy, that we'll actually have data over time showing health outcomes because mm. you'll have to, you know, every year we need to re-up and, and understand what's happening with your health. I can't wait to take that you know, and then argue. And we've got a lot of people on the lobbying side. We've got former lawmakers who have invested a lot of allies to show and argue that for food stamps. It's interesting. It's kind of caught on already in just a couple months. And now we're actually working with a number of members of Congress to uh, who are very interested in doing congressional investigations of how Coke and Pepsi and food companies rig the system. Uh, Bill Ackman, a prominent hedge fund uh, I saw that. investor, um, used my tweet and called for a class action lawsuit, which is very costly. Against Coke and Pepsi, yeah. Right, similar to the cigarette companies where they had to pay, you know, hundreds yeah. of, yeah. So, so I think it's very I mean, do similar. you, I often, I like to think about these things because it's like looking back at smoking, even right. when I was growing up as a kid, you know, people smoking inside, smoking in planes or whatever. And you're kind of like, whoa, I can't believe everybody was doing that. Mm-hmm. And now it looks insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, I presume the, your hope is that if the, you know, if you, your efforts and many others work that, you know, we'll look back at like, I mean, Coke's been around for, a, I don't know what, a century, but they move a lot of product. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, that pervasiveness of sugar and like the epidemic of obesity, et cetera, that we'll look back in 20, 30 years and be like, wow, we kind of lost our minds there for a while. Yeah, the the main thing I'd say is I think it's we'll look back and say it was an order of magnitude worse than than smoking. I mean, mm. it, listen, sugar is normalized right now. Um, you know, you go to a a four year old's or a three year old's birthday party, and it's like a bunch of you know, it, it's it's indistinguishable if you had the sound off and didn't know why you you look at a bunch of meth addicts. I mean, you know, you're, you're you're all just like going out of their minds around the cake and just just pummeling sugar into their. I mean, but the fact that that's so normalized doesn't mean what's happening right now is absolutely bonkers and evil. I mean, mm. sugar, what's happening to the metabolism and the metabolic health of children, is the crime of the century, and it is decimating our human capital. Ask any parent who has a teenager about the mental health of our youth right now. Mm. It is an absolute cataclysm. Ask them about the physical health. Ask them about developmental issues. There is something very wrong happening here. The fact that it is so normalized doesn't mean it's not a huge problem. And you think there's a kind of dovetailing between, say, social media, which is its own ill, and just the metabolic health and what this influx of sugar and fat into the diet is doing to development and health and mental health. 
Oh, I put it very much in the same vein. I think there's an all out assault on our kids' brains. You know, a social media post and the chronic stress and the dopamine that that releases hmm. is just like sugar. It's actually, to me, the very, very similar thing. And we have people profiting off, absolutely destroying our kids' brains. And then a medical establishment, and this is the key, and this is, I think, the link most people make. Who else but the medical establishment to speak out about this? I mean, what the hell is the NIH doing, talking, still talking about COVID every day and not talking about the fact that we are destroying our human capital you know, with our nutrition? Where is the NIH speaking out about mm. that their main nutrition study is arguing for lucky charms, like as, as, a, as a food to be encouraged? Like, what the hell is going on? I mean, we know what's going on. They're followed money. Right. Oh, before I go, so, because we, it's, this is kind of like, in a way, a startup podcast. So have you raised money? How much have you raised? And who have you, who's been funding? Oh, sure, sure. We have raised a couple million dollars, three million plus from um, 60 leading angels and institutional funds. I, I, I haven't, we haven't done a whole thing, but we've raised over 3 million from institutionals that Justin and I have raised from before and are, are close with. Got you. Um, awesome. Well, look, good luck with it. And uh, I'm sure you're going to be, um, you're going to get bashed a bit by, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going up against uh, some pretty strong forces when you talk about these big, these big food companies. I'm sure they're going to, you know, try to use you as a pinata. So oh, okay. Luck. Well, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for, you know, exploring this issue. I think, you know, it's, it's obviously something I'm passionate about and really appreciate it. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Callie for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for telling your friends and neighbors about the pod as ever. Really appreciate it. That is it for me this week. We will be doing a something, a small write-up about this in the paper, so do check that out amongst many other things. You can check that out online, of course, at thetimes.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson, or you can email me at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk with ideas, questions, comments, concerns, etc. Thanks as ever for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.